Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I am your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, what's going on? Uh, nothing much. I'm ready to talk some Penn State Maryland football all tonight. Yeah, it's th- this game is weird, and, and I know we kind of let off the uh, Monday pod with this, but compared to last week, there was kind of a sense of doom and gloom in the air coming into this game, going into the game. And this week, I was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, let's get this over with. Let's do this, and let's hope Penn State wins because I want to see a win, not because this all, all of us are on a bit of a tipping point when it comes to whether or not we want the coach to stick around." So I like this. I think we should have. Uh, more podcasts where we're upbeat and happy. Don't you agree? Yeah, those are always good. Yeah, and when I think of upbeat and happy, I think of Maryland athletics. So we want and who doesn't exactly. And in our attempt to make this podcast as upbeat and happy as possible, we decided to get someone who knows Maryland athletics onto the show. Uh, he works for the Diamondback, Maryland student newspaper. He is a sports reporter who covers the Maryland football team along with a few. Other sports, he's a good follow on Twitter. We'll give him a little bit of love later in the podcast. And he is also a Manchester City supporter, so you know you can trust him. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jordan Katz. Jordan, how you doing, my guy? Uh, I'm still sad about the Orioles wild card game, yeah. but other than that, good. Like, that was one of those games that when you took a step back and you just watched it was really fun up until the point where Buck Show Walter forgot what he was doing. Fun for a neutral. Yeah. for Heartbreaking for and... <laughs> traumatizing for the next six months for Orioles fans. It's okay. It's okay. You know. You know what? At least your team was in it. Yeah, N- Nick. I don't is, hear your... Nick, Nick is a Mariners fan, so he's a little bit uh, not happy with the state of baseball right now, and hasn't been for the last fifteen years. Yeah, I, I mean, think of it this way: one of these days, Zach Britton is going to pitch again, and that's going to be a really fun day. I mean, I personally kind of want the Orioles to trade him just because his value will never be higher, but this isn't the baseball podcast, so I won't really get into that. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about that after the pod. How about, uh, instead of doing that, we talk about what we're here for, and that is this weekend's game uh, between Penn State and Maryland, homecoming for the Nittany Lions in Beaver Stadium, Penn State 3-2, hosting Maryland, which is 4-0, has gotten off to a really great start this season. We're going to talk about... Uh, that 4-0 record, try to break it down a little bit, uh, try and determine how much of that is, and I hate doing this because it's a bit of a college football cliche, how much of this is Maryland is a good team and how much of this is Maryland's schedule has been softer than two-ply. We're going to talk about the DJ Durkin era, what he's done well on and off the field, what this team does well, what it does poorly, and how Penn State can end up winning this game. And of course, we're going to talk about Big Ten games. There is an Iowa game. We may disrespect them. We'll have to figure that out when we get there. But to start, I want to just talk about the DJ Durkin era at Maryland. He comes over from Michigan, where he was a really successful defensive coordinator. Maryland made that hire. Some pe- a lot of people really liked it. Some people made the uh, joke that they had to settle after there were rumors out there that the school was going to go after Chip Kelly with some of that Under Armour money. But so far, Jordan, and this is just... Uh, as I take a step back and I look at the program from the perspective of someone who isn't a Maryland fan, it seems like the Durkin era is going as well, if not better, than it could be. I mean, I'd say that's definitely true, just because, first and foremost, replacing Randy Edsall was a blessing from <laughs> the heavens above. And, and really, you could have hired just about anyone, and it would have been a considerable upgrade over Randy Edsall just by not being Randy Edsall. <laughs> Uh, for, for me personally, Mark Richt was my first choice, and he went to Miami, which I can't blame him because Miami has more prestige and it's also his alma mater. And I was kind of mad. Wait, on did you say Durkin. that's his alma mater? I've never heard anyone say yeah. that before. Yeah, Mark Richt went to the U. Oh, yeah. interesting. So does it all? Is it all clicking now, Nick? Yeah, it's now I understand why every <laughs> single time Miami plays, they say Mark Richt. He went to Miami. It all makes sense now. There you go. Nick. <laughs> But, I mean, Kevin Anderson, who's our AD, promised to... Well, actually, Wallace Lowe, who's our like president of the whole like university, both of them were like, yeah, we're going to look into like the high-powered offensive coach. Like, Scott Frost, who's at UCF and was Oregon's offensive coordinator, was brought up. Um, uh, is it Dino Babbers or Dino Babbers? Whatever. Dino, Dino Babbers. Dino Babers. He was brought up. He also beat Maryland the prior year, so I was like, hire this guy because he dropped 50 on us. So, I mean, th- those are two that I definitely remember. 
a sort of like offensive minded coaches and I was like, Oh, we hired Michigan's defensive coordinator? Uh okay. Well, he's familiar with the Big Ten. So I think at first it was sort of why did we hire a defensive coordinator? That's not exciting. So um, from there, he hired Walt Bell for the offensive coordinator, and he destroyed the Sun Belt last year. I think he dropped basically like 40 points per game on Sun Belt opponents, which again is the Sun Belt, but still he just dominated that conference. Arkansas State was um, undefeated in Sun Belt play last year because he was just coaching circles around everyone else. <laughs> So he brought in Walt Bell, and so far his offense has looked pretty good. Um, for defense, he originally had Scott Schaefer, then Scott Schaefer had to leave for, I don't know, I think it's undisclosed reasons, like family or whatever. So then he brought in Andy Boo, who was at uh, Kentucky, and he coached under Durkin and Harbaugh, I think at Stanford, like six or seven years ago, back when Harbaugh was at Stanford. So... Um, uh, recruiting, I really didn't pay that much attention to recruiting under Edsall because there just wasn't anything that interesting going on. <laughs> like, I knew Stefan Diggs was going to be a big deal when he was recruited, but besides that, I could not tell you anything about recruiting. But then Durkin comes in, and he... Actually, one thing that happened right at the start of Durkin, um, of the Durkin era, was we lost Dwayne Haskins to Ohio State, yep. and that was considered a pretty big deal at the time because he was and either... And Jones. Yeah, him too. It was, But, I mean, just in terms of the immediate need for someone good at that position, Haskins was a much bigger deal. So we come in, and Haskins is loyal to Ed Saul and Mike Loxley, who was the interim coach and, like, the DMV recruiting god. Yep. D.C., Maryland, Virginia, if people don't know that. <laughs> I'm not talking about where you get your license. <laughs> so, so yeah, he was committed to the Edsall Loxley regime. And then once Edsall, well, Edsall got fired, but then once Loxley was confirmed to not uh, be staying on full time, Haskins was like, well, I don't have any reason to be loyal to DJ Durkin. I'm going to go play for Urban Meyer. So that was a pretty big setback right at the start, losing a quarterback that probably would be starting over Perry Hills. But from there, he got uh, Kasim Hill, who is a four-star 2017 recruit from St. John's, which is like somewhere near D.C. And right now, according to 24-7, we have six uh, four-star recruits. And our 27 recruiting class is top 20 in the country. So at least for now, and there's lots of decommitting and other stupid stuff that can happen between now and National Signing Day, we have a really good recruiting class. And I think it's probably one of the best ones we've had since, like, um, five-star rankings and everything else really became a thing. Yeah. So I hope that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, definitely. And uh, two guys who have definitely helped with that, and Nick, you can expand on this a little bit more, have been Mike London, uh, the former coach at uh, Virginia, just a big personality, a guy who, uh, I mean, it seems like forever ago, seemed like he was going to be the next big head coach in college football. And Azar Abdul Rahim, the defensive backs <laughs> coach, who knows that area incredibly well, came over from uh, Alabama where he did some serious work in that region. And Nick, as we're taking a step back, I mean, again, you're a recruiting guy. What do you make of the success that Maryland has had off the field getting kids to commit to the program? Yeah, so while I really love all the pretty much all the hires that Durkin made to fill out his staff, I really liked that he went after so many head coaches to yep. kind of help guide his staff. Uh, picking up, what's his full last name? Abdul Rahim, is that his full last name? Yes, thanks. So. Yeah, uh, that was the biggest hire he made in terms of recruiting, uh, because like Jordan said, uh, Loxley was excellent when it came to recruiting the DMV area. Probably only really rivaled by like Larry Johnson when he was at Penn State, and what now that he's at Ohio State. Um, but picking up him was a huge, huge win for recruiting. And while they did lose Dwayne Haskins, they did lose Keandre Jones. That was pretty much written in stone. Like if. Edsall and Loxley were gone. There was no way they were going to stick around. Uh, that wasn't too much of a surprise. So uh, that it it really wasn't as much of a hit to the program as it might have seemed on the surface. I'd say, but picking up picking up the coaches that they did has really helped them to, and just having Dirk in there in general has really helped them to stay afloat and flourish right now in recruiting. And like uh, Jordan said, a lot will change. They're top twenty class right now, but. 
things change, and not not necessarily just because of decommitments, uh, but because as other teams start to fill out their classes, they'll naturally rise. Other teams will naturally fall. So it's possible they may fall out of the top 25, but regardless, it's still a very, very good recruiting class for Absolutely. them. Uh, guys like Joshua Kando. Mm. Um, I won't even go. Yeah, I, I, I won't even. I won't that. go. I won't <laughs> go into all the. I won't go into all our names because we'll we'll talk about them more come uh, National Signing Day on Roar Lions Roar, but. Needless to say, it's a very good class for them. But the one thing that, and I, to just to chime in on the Durkin era in general, um, I think it's been obviously it's been great so far. I mean, they're scoring points, they're preventing points for the most part. But the thing that has me tentative about his future is that while he seems like he's a great coach and the offense is clicking on all cylinders right now, um it kind of seems like it's setting up the way that he's recruiting and which kind of player specifically he's recruiting. It looks like it could turn into a situation where maybe right now and for the next couple of years, the offense is, offense is all good to go and the defense is st- still rebuilding. And by the time the defense is starting to click on all cylinders, the offense is going to be in a little bit of a downturn. And Kasim Hill is great, don't get me wrong, um, but they, they're clearly amassing more talent on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know... and. Durkin learned from Irvin Meyer and Jim Harbaugh, so he knows how to build a defense. But I don't know if the right way or the best way to try to build a consistent winner in the Big Ten right now, especially when you're in the same division as those two coaches, at least for now, um, I don't know if the best way to build a team to beat those two is to try to beat them at their own game. So while I really like Durkin, I think that, um, I mean, obviously if they can keep the current offensive coaching staff around forever, that'd be great, and they'd they'll might have a much better chance but assuming those guys get other opportunities and they have to move on even i mean even just his very next offensive coordinator hire is gonna be super super important for his future i thought you were going to say that you were uh, a little bit low on them because you were afraid that durkin was going to take the michigan job after harbaugh bolts this year for the indianapolis colts so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you actually went into a substantive direction and not the horrible speculation that i've been doing for i don't even know how long uh, but no, nah, there's there's way more fun candidates to mock <laughs> to that job. We will dedicate an entire bi week episode of the podcast just to making fun of who Michigan is going to try and hire. But neither here nor there. Uh, Jordan, I also want to talk. Uh, now that we've kind of gotten to the things that led up to where we are now with Maryland football, let's talk about in terms of on field performance where we are now. Like we said, Maryland. this season, I think a lot of people saw them being 4-0. Howard, Florida International, Central Florida, Purdue, not exactly a murderer's row of a schedule. And again, we will get to that point. But in terms of how they got to that 4-0, in terms of they're beating teams by multiple possessions. They had a rough game against UCF, but they beat Purdue 50-7. They beat FIU 41-14. They beat Howard 52-13. Does that give you a little bit of optimism, in, e- even though, again, it's not the best schedule on the planet? Uh, one thing that I do want to throw in about recruiting real quick before I answer that is that we're also recruiting DeMatha, which is probably like mm. the best high school state and one of the best high schools in the entire like D.C. metro area. That was something that Randy Edsall just completely failed at doing. And we have, I think, four or five DeMatha guys on the roster this year. We should add a couple guys next year. So, in particular, one thing that I forgot to mention earlier, we're recruiting the best high school in the state, and it's a high school that's in Hyattsville, which is like 10, 5 minutes away from College Park. Yeah. So that's definitely helping, is bringing in local kids. But in terms of the on-field results, I think the uh, most important thing is they're just running the ball extremely well. We had, I think, over 400 rushing yards against Purdue or something just completely comical. Ty Johnson had over 200 rushing yards on seven carries. He was basically averaging 30 yards a carry, essentially. (laughs) And basically, Perry Hills has not been forced to do anything, which is perfectly (laughs) fine for now. I mean, mean, that's essentially what it is. Like, he's not being asked to do anything egregious. He's being asked to do the read option, being asked to run the ball, being asked to throw no more than 10 or 15 yards. And for now, that's working. And it's also giving him confidence because... When you have one interception through four games after throwing like 10,000 the prior year, 
that helps. It doesn't matter if you're facing the four worst teams in FCS. If you're not throwing interceptions, that's a positive development. Yeah, certainly. And I'm actually looking um, right now among Big Ten starting quarterbacks. Uh, I believe, at, uh, at least on ESPN, I believe Alex Hornibrook at uh, Wisconsin is the only guy who isn't on this list. And that's because Bart Houston has thrown more passes than him. No starting quarterback in the Big Ten has thrown fewer passes than Hills. He's at 73 on the year. And like you said, one interception, when you look back on last year, when it seemed like he preferred to give the ball to the other team, that's something that's really, really encouraging. And you mentioned Maryland's ability to run the ball, and that gets us into kind of what they do well. Uh, looking at Bill C's num- Bill Conley over at SB Nation's numbers, this is a team that is really, really good, like you said, at running the football. They are 12th nationally in rushing S&P+, 4th nationally in success rate, and 6th in opportunity rate. This is just a team that is winning at the line of scrimmage. And Walt Bell, I think he is going to be an outstanding offensive coordinator or offensive-minded head coach at a big program really soon. Don't. You can have him for a few more years, just soon. But that's the thing that really impresses me is he has built, taken what he learned at Arkansas State, that weird Arkansas State, we're going to do a bunch of smoke and mirrors, but we're still going to be a team that tries to run the football above everything else. And he has brought that to Maryland. Lorenzo Harris averaging 7.5 yards per carry. Ty Johnson nearly 12 yards per carry. Perry Hill 7.5. They have four other running backs who have double-digit carries and are averaging at least 6 yards per carry. And Nick, I... Uh, again, and we're going to keep saying this, not a great schedule, but offensively, when you're getting the job done, you're getting the job done, and it doesn't matter what kind of team you're going up against. Yeah, I mean, they they can run the ball, plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, they're, they are statistically one of the very best rush, rushing football teams in college football right now. Um, I won't take the time to say, to mention the schedule, we know what the schedule is, but <laughs> When I mean, Jordan mentioned that uh, Hills has literally been asked to do essentially nothing. I mean, that's true. He's only thrown for 550 yards this season and through four games, which is kind of absurd. But when you're rushing the way they are, you really there's there's no point in throwing the ball if you don't have to. Like if you can get 10 yards rushing the ball, there's no sense in throwing the ball and risking interception. So I think that. Um, I think that we'll learn a lot about Maryland. I think we're going to learn more about Maryland this week than Penn State, honestly. Um, I think what we know about Penn State is pretty pretty well quantified at this point. But Maryland this week, I, I mean, Penn State is not a good rushing defense. Let's yeah. get that out of the way right now. They are not a good rushing defense. But they still are probably the best rushing defense Maryland will have faced so far. And the with the way that Penn State's offense has shown that it, it has the ability to score then Maryland is probably going to be forced to throw the ball at least a little more in this game. So I'm I'm really curious to see if last year's Perry Hill starts to show up a little oh, yeah. bit or not. That, um, yeah, so I... Yeah, I mean, I, I think I kind of jumped the gun a little bit yeah. on some of our next topics there, but yeah. Yeah, and Jordan, I want to talk about this defense for a second because we're giving a lot of love and credit to the offense on... Passing down, so second and eight or more, third and five or more, fourth or five or more. Maryland's passing down to S&P Plus is 11th in the nation. Their sack rate on passing downs is 7th nationally. This isn't, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems like a defense where you can get you can get a few yards on those early downs, but if it gets to a point where Maryland's defensive linemen and linebackers and even a guy like Will Likely who, you know, five foot seven defensive back, when they're able to pin their ears back and they are able to try and confuse and get after a quarterback, this is one of the more better, really aggressive defenses in all of college football. Yeah, I mean I definitely say that. I think in terms of the whole they haven't played anyone thing, I think I think that's more significant for the defense than the offense because I mean, that's just my personal opinion on how you can, like, evaluate a defense. Like, going up against Mackenzie Milton, who's, like, UCF's QB. Like, even, even if you do great, I feel like there's, like, more of an assumption that a good defense should do well 
against a, a bad offense than the other way around. Like, I'm more encouraged by the fact that we dropped 50 on Purdue than by the fact that we held them to just uh, seven points and, like, literally, like, 10 or 15 rushing yards. But <laughs> what you said is definitely accurate in terms of their defense. But, again, we really have not... We're going to probably say this, like, 50 times. Maryland really has not faced anyone that good. Uh, Purdue's running back, I talked to a couple, like, Purdue beat writers, and they all of them said... I'm completely blank- blanking on his name. It's Jones something. Uh, so- something Jones. Purdue's he, he, like he, listen. He he plays football for Purdue. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because he's <laughs> going to end up playing quarterback in the SEC. It's accurate, but like uh, Purdue's, it's Jones something whatever. And Mark like he, Jones. Thank you. I was totally blanking on the first name, and like I got the impression that he was meant to be pretty good and we kept him completely in check i think he had maybe 30 rushing yards total which is you know good and so yeah i mean in terms of the defense they've done well but they've only faced really one team that had a good running back and no teams that really had a quarterback that really stood out so i think the verdict is more out on the defense than the offense interesting yeah, and as I'm just looking through this, those are really the two things that stick out to me. One, Maryland is going to try and run the ball. And two, Maryland is going to try and get after you. And we'll get to this in a second, but it always seems to me like if you could do that, if you can make sure those two things don't happen, and if you don't like guys like Lightly, like Jermaine Carter Jr., like, and Jordan, you're going to have to help me out on this, Jesse... Annie Bonham? I think that's right. Yeah, just dudes like that who are getting tackles for loss, are getting sacks, are getting into backfields and causing havoc. Those are the dudes that you really need to worry about. However, looking at some of the things Maryland doesn't do well, and Jordan, this seems pretty simple to me. Maryland is not a team that is designed to throw the football. Like we said, Perry Hill's uh, has shown his ability with his legs. He's att- he's attempting 18 or 19 passes a game, 550 yards in four games. That 5-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio is nice, and completing about 60% of his passes is also nice. But it seems like when you're able to get Maryland into those passing downs, into those 2nd and 8s, 3rd and 5s, 4th and 5s, whatever, you're able to get into that backfield and you're able to really make Joan, uh, not Joan, sorry, Hills struggle. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Perry's definitely taken his fair share of sacks thus far this season. But I, I think basically Perry, there's definitely been situations where I think he's basically decided he's better off taking a sack than trying to make a play and possibly doing something that could lead to an interception or doing something that could almost lead to an interception. I mean, I've, I haven't been able to like watch game film or anything like that, but it definitely seems like there's been some times where Perry's just sort of held on to the ball because a sack's obviously better than a turnover. And I also feel like, again, we haven't really had a chance to pr- prove this, that Walt Bell's done a better job of like realizing what Perry is capable of doing and what he's not capable of doing and being more realistic about what his level of ability is and what he's actually capable of doing and not forcing him into throws and forcing him into plays that he can't realistically make. Yeah, and I'm going to say something that is going to hurt both Nick and myself, but last year uh, Christian Hackenberg's sack rate was 9.6%, which as we, uh, if you watched any Penn State football last year, you can kind of contextualize what a 9.6% sack rate is. For Perry Hills, it's 13.1%. He's a dude who's going to get hit. And Nick, let's look at this from the Penn State perspective. Penn State has a front seven that is young and hurt, but it has shown at times that it is able to get into backfields and really mess with quarterbacks. Defensive line havoc rate is 35th in the nation. Linebacker havoc rate is 41st in the nation. So when you hear these numbers about Perry Hills, 11 sacks, 13.1% sack rate. And you consider that Penn State is good at getting into backfields and just making dudes uncomfortable. How optimistic does that make you 
that if Penn State's able to get Maryland into these longer situations, that Maryland's not going to be able to put up too many points. Yeah. Yeah. So real quick before I say that, go ahead. I don't know who Ma- I don't know who Max Bortenschlager is, Whoa. but he should be starting. <laughs> but he should be starting because Max that name is incredible. I talked I talked to him at media day. I think he's literally uh, like the fifth string QB at this point. I mean, we, we've got pre- we've got pretty good names. We've also got Tyrell Pigrome, which makes for lots yeah, of assorted pig puns. Well, I was gonna say if he's a fifth string QB at Maryland, that means he's probably a linebacker, right? <laughs> that, uh, that's a pretty, that's a solid joke. I mean, Shane Cockrell, who's like the origin of that joke, is actually doing pretty decent. He converted from quarterback to linebacker and is yeah. doing reasonably well right now. I will so say, yeah. we. we we haven't actually pointed out my favorite name on the Maryland roster, which I feel like I remember from recruiting, uh, Quantrez Knight. Yes, that's Ooh. a very solid one. I'm, I, I like Kingsley Opara myself. I think anytime you can work in any sort of like royalty into your name, that's pretty solid. So I'm a big fan of Kingsley Opara. <laughs> that's a good one. Okay. Uh, what was my question about how how now, good I feel about Penn State? Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay. okay. So, um, so yeah, I I feel pretty good if I'm a Penn State fan um, about the chances of really getting into Hill's face and getting into the backfield because while Penn State is very beat up as you mentioned, they're not beat up on the defensive line. They're in at least no one very no one vital to the defensive line's success is beat up on the defensive line unless you count Kevin Givens who may still be slightly hindered, but I'm not really sure about that. Um, but yeah, most of Penn State's pressure this year uh, has come just from that front four. Uh, got, we've seen guys like Sharif Miller make a pretty big impact early on as a true freshman. We've seen Parker Cawthorn get in the backfield. We've seen... Torrance. I mean, we've seen Evan We've seen Torrance just <laughs> toy with some offensive tackles, and boy, when he breaks out, it's going to be fun. Um, but we've even seen like Evan Schwann get back there. Garrett Sickles done a nice job. Antoine White. So the defensive line has the ability to get into the backfield on their own. Um, and if James Franklin is to be believed, and if Brandon Bell really is able to play in this week's game, well, com- that brings I don't, back... I'm not sure if Brandon Bell... Was that announced tonight? Because I wasn't able to keep up with media things, but yesterday... I thought like, there was a tweet earlier that said he was going to play. Yesterday... Or he, was, he might play. Uh, I'll look it up, but the tweet yesterday, uh, one Penn State member of the media just accidentally tweeted his name out. I guess they heard something wrong, but... Uh, I'll double uh, check, but I don't think uh, Brandon Bell's. Well, to regardless, that. whether he whether he's there or not, assu- let's assume he's not because they want to get him healthy during this week and the bye week heading into Ohio State. So we'll assume he's not. Even still, their best pass rushing linebacker is Manny Bowen, Ooh. and he very well he very well may not be rushing the passer much in this game if he is indeed forced in to play middle linebacker should something happen to Brandon Smith or should Brandon Smith not be healthy for the start of this one. Um, so I think Penn State has to get pressure with the front four. They don't really have a choice. Um, but what we've seen so far this season is that they are totally able to do that. And being able to do that, I think, will play a huge part in this game. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And, that, and on that note, let's talk about how do you beat Maryland Jordan because it seems like a pretty simple formula to me uh, but I want to see from your perspective how does a team go out there and beat the Terrapins I mean I think you guys pretty much hit it on the nails make Perry Hills beat you rather than have some combination of Lorenzo Harrison Kenneth Goins Ty Johnson etc etc beat you because in all four of the games that they've won they've just run the ball a lot the one game that they almost lost UCF when they had to go into double overtime was the one time that they really weren't able to just consistently run the ball. I mean, it's really a pretty simple answer, but it's accurate. Is force Perry Hills to like actually be a quarterback and not a running back that sometimes throws the ball to keep you honest. So, I mean, really just that in terms of offense is we don't know how much Perry really has improved as a quarterback under Walt Bell. We know he's doing a lot better in terms of running the ball and throwing like short intermediate passes when it doesn't really matter as much. But like we none of us have any clue how Perry Hills will handle being down fourteen points in the road. Yeah. On the road in the second half. So really just force Perry Hills into needing to beat you and then we'll see if he's actually capable of doing that. Yeah, and looking at their situ- situational numbers 
they're ranked 88th nationally in first quarter S&P Plus and 87th nationally in fourth quarter S&P Plus on offense, which leads me to believe that you're able to kind of set the tone at the beginning and the end of the game on Maryland's offense. But in those middle quarters, 18th nationally in second quarter S&P Plus, 23rd nationally in third quarter S&P Plus, it looks like if you are able to set the tone early and keep that tone up, you are able to kind of uh, kind of keep Maryland down a little bit. And they're 88th in offensive third down S&P Plus, which, again, goes back to if you make Perry Hills have to throw the ball, he could struggle. On the other side of the ball, their, fourth, their first quarter S&P Plus on defense is 94th nationally. Their first down S&P Plus is 105th nationally. So early on in the game and early on in drives, you are able to move on this defense. It tightens up a little bit as drives and the game goes along, but it seems the other big thing to beating Maryland, at least to me, is to start early and finish strong. Do those two things, and I think you are going to be able to take them out, but it's going to be a tough one. And Nick, uh, you actually wanted to talk about something. You messaged us, while we were on here, and I go ahead and present that because it, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. I will, but one, I'll chime in on this too, real quick. Okay. I this I think what you get, we were just talking about the quarter by quarter breakdown leads for a really interesting thought because both Penn State and Maryland uh, seem to do their best work. I mean, seem to do their best work in like the very middle of the game, like that third quarter, especially like that's where Penn state has really taken a step forward yeah. uh, in all their games. And that's where Maryland is better, a better second quarter team, it seems, but third quarter is also still very good. So for t- two teams that both have t- tended to start slow, um, at least according to the S and P numbers, uh, if one of them is able to jump out ahead during that first quarter, that could make for a really interesting start to the game. Uh, but the thing I wanted to talk about, um, before we kind of get into our predictions for this game, uh, is Maryland's remaining schedule. So we've mentioned a few times now, which was just once or twice, that they haven't really played anyone. That's um, Which is true. Yeah. So the best team they've played so far in terms of S&P Plus is Central Florida. And they were ranked 73rd. Um, and, of course, Maryland escaped with a 30-24 win. From here on out, they every single team they play is currently ranked significantly, well, most of them significantly higher than that, in the S&P rankings, aside from ending the season with Rutgers. So this week you have Penn State, who's ranked 38, Minnesota 44, Michigan State 58, Indiana 49, Michigan 3, Ohio State 1, Nebraska 23. They Their schedule gets really, really tricky starting this week. So they had to cakewalk those first four games, but theoretically, just thinking of a team, maybe just a team equal to Maryland, not necessarily this Maryland Terrapins team, but it wouldn't be surprising to see a team equal to Maryland lose every game on this schedule aside from Rutgers. I'm not saying that's going to happen for Maryland yeah. because I think they're I think they're better than a a, a team kind of equal with their rank right now. I think that their rushing attack alone is good enough to steal them one or two wins at least um, over Smarty. games over over teams that they're not necessarily favored over right now. Um, but I'm curious to hear what Jordan thinks about this about how the schedule lines up for him because. They come to Penn State. They get to come home to face Minnesota, Michigan State, which are two very, very beatable teams, as is Penn State. Um, but then they have kind of have a murderer's row right there. At Indiana, which is suddenly a really difficult game, it looks like, at Michigan, home against Ohio State, and then at Nebraska. So I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts, Jordan, about how the schedule is going to play out. I mean, everything you said is accurate. I definitely feel like Rutgers, we should beat Rutgers at home if we don't beat Rutgers at home. I, I just don't even want to ponder that for <laughs> embarrassment. But, I mean, we definitely should beat Rutgers. So, basically, we need to go 1-6 and six in our next... God, I hope I'm not doing the math wrong. We need to go 1-6 yeah. and six in our next seven games, assuming we beat Rutgers, which really we should. And we got a bowl game, which is great, because we didn't have a bowl game last year. So, I mean, really... Just getting to six wins is a nice benchmark for your first season as a head coach, just because we did not come remotely close to that last year. So, I mean, if we can just win any of Penn State, Minnesota, and Michigan State, again, with the assumption we should really beat Rutgers, then that's <laughs> at least a, a baseline of like, hey, that's a successful season. Because, I mean, I don't think you really need to explain why going to a bowl game is nice. So, 
I mean, I definitely agree. There's, I'll be astonished if they win in Lincoln. I'll be astonished if they win in the big house. They really don't have much of a chance against Ohio State. And, yeah, the Michigan State game was kind of weird. The Michigan-Indiana game was kind of, yeah, Michigan State-Indiana game. Because on one hand, it's like, oh, Michigan State looks really vulnerable now. Okay. Because that, in addition to the fact that Wisconsin pretty handily beat them at home. But then everyone's like, oh, okay, I guess going to Bloomington might be kind of tough. So that was kind of like a net zero in terms of how I felt about the schedule. I felt a lot more confident in the fact that, okay, we're going to get Michigan State at home in prime time. It's our first prime time game in like two years because we didn't have one last year. And if, then that'll definitely have some pretty good like buzz in the students and whatnot. But then on the other hand, like, oh, wow, going to Bloomington actually looks tough now. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree that definitely we managed, we did a good job of scheduling ourselves three easy out of conference wins, and we got lucky to sort of start Big Ten play with probably the <laughs> one of the weakest teams in the conference. But I definitely agree with everything you guys said in terms of going to Nebraska, going to the big house, facing Ohio State, and then also facing Penn State on the road. Basically, every game besides Rutgers is vastly more difficult than the first four games. I'm looking at uh, Maryland's win probability for the remainder of the schedule. Penn State and Indiana are kind of toss-ups. Indiana is a 48%. Uh, Penn State's 43 They're projected to beat Minnesota and Michigan State. 57% for Minnesota, 65% for Michigan State. Not projected. Really? 65%? Michigan State is 58th in S&P Plus and Maryland is 40th. And like you said, home night game. Yeah. That could be a tough one. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska not projected to win any of those games. Nearly a 90% chance of beating Rutgers. And looking at the record probability, it. I, I mean, a 90. Uh, he is Bill C has 96.4% or better for a six and for six and six uh, record. I just misspoke pretty badly. It looks like by these numbers, this is either a seven and five or eight and four football team. So that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. This is, and like you said, for a school like Maryland, which went through a pretty tough year last year and is in the first year of a new coach trying to establish himself both on the field and in recruiting, going against guys uh, like Mark D'Antonio, like Urban Meyer, like Jim Harbaugh in his division, and then in recruiting, going against a guy like James Franklin. This is really big, and it's really big to Maryland that they're able to get to a bowl. And one way they could take a positive step towards that is by getting to 5-0 and with the remainder of their schedule by beating Penn State. Uh, whether or not that'll happen, uh, we're going to see what everybody thinks. Nick, let's start with you. So I think that a lot of Penn State fans are underrating Maryland, but I think it's almost shifted to the point where now people are kind of overrating them. Uh, they're a very good team, and they're, their strengths right now match up really well with Penn State's weaknesses, particularly the rushing attack versus Penn State's rushing defense. But Penn State is far and away the best team Maryland will have played thus far. Um, And I think we're going to see that a little bit. I think it's going to be a very close game. Uh, As you'll see on Friday, I I predicted this game will end 33-30 in favor of Penn State, and I feel pretty good about that prediction. Um, If anything, I think Penn State might actually pull ahead by a touchdown. And it wouldn't necessarily be an indictment on Maryland if that happened. Um, maybe It's maybe a little bit more of the fact that there's going to be a lot of energy in Beaver Stadium. It's homecoming. It is a noon start, so that things can get weird there. But I think that this Penn State football team is better, just straight up better than the Maryland team, even with some of the injuries. Um, and I think that they sh- I think that this Penn State sh- team should beat Maryland by like eight points, but because this game has already, in its very brief, not a rivalry history, has already <laughs> has already shown, has already shown that it can get pretty weird. So yeah. I think a, I think a three point win for Penn State sounds just about right. Nice, uh, Jordan. What are you thinking? I mean, I really wish we would have played either Minnesota or Michigan State before this, just so we can get an idea of like how Perry Hills handles a real defense. But because we don't really know how that will happen. I think Penn State will win just simply because I don't know how Perry Hills is going to handle facing someone better than Purdue. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, you can you can practice, you can do everything, but I've, there's just too much uncertainty for me in terms of facing probably the first real team on our schedule. 
for me to pick uh, Maryland. But okay. on the other hand, we almost won last year with Mike Loxley coaching with Randy Edsall's coaching staff left on board. So, I mean, it's just kind of hard to say. I'll say Penn State if I had to, like, put money on it. But if Perry Hills actually is able to handle facing a real defense, then I like our chances. But I simply can't be confident enough that Perry will be able to, like, properly adjust to facing a real defense. Yeah, mentioning putting money on this is interesting because depending on where you're looking, Maryland is either a one- or a two-point favorite. So Penn State is a home dog against the Terrapins. Uh, looking at, again, I mentioned this a second earlier, Bill Connolly's win probability. Uh, he has Penn State projected margin of victory, uh, three points win probability of about 57%. And I haven't mentioned this uh, to Jordan yet, but I'm terrified. And this is only about 35% an attempt at a re- reverse jinx. <laughs> I'm and can I can I add can I add real quick that I'm also terrified just yes. for the record. Nick is terrified, but he's rolling with Penn State. I am terrified, but I'm picking Maryland 28-24. Um, <laughs> I th- yeah, I'm I'm not happy about this for the record, and I really really hope that I am wrong. Uh, but Maryland's ability to run the football against Penn State's front seven is something that has me pretty worried, and I'm also worried that. We saw what Maryland wanted to do last year against Penn State. Maryland loaded the box, said, Saquon Barkley, you're not beating us. They can give the ball to you all you want, and you can get one or two yards, but that's the extent of it, and we're going to make this quarterback beat us. And I would be really shocked if they don't do the same strategy defensively that they did last year, with the difference being that this year's Maryland defense is really good at getting to quarterbacks and hitting them and forcing them into doing things they don't want to do, as opposed to last year when Christian Hackenberg, not the most accurate game, but he was basically able to drop back and throw a ball really far and just have one of his guys go get it. So Yeah, he basically threw like a deep bomb every play. I was yeah. there in Baltimore, and it was yeah. just like, come on, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, so I am very begrudgingly and very much partially an attempt to jinx uh, jinx this going to take Maryland uh, by four points. I think it's going to be a really, really close game regardless. Uh, but like both of you basically said, I really am interested just as a football fan to see what happens uh, if Penn State gets into a situation where it's up by a touchdown or two. How does this Maryland offense respond if it has to start throwing the football? I think that's going to be really fun to watch. And speaking of fun to watch, we have a pretty fun slate of Big Ten games uh, this week, mostly because one of them is going to be a complete just mauling of Rutgers on their home field at night by Michigan. We'll get to that in a second, but let's pick some Big Ten games. Uh, first things first, do you guys want to disrespect Iowa? So the well, joke is I say yes, right? Yes, you do. We disre- we disrespect them last week, but I still was able to slip in that I said I bet Northwestern wins. So <laughs> I I feel I feel good about that. So I say let's talk about them real quick. Really? Oh my! I mean, Nick, it's a pretty. Is... It's not a good game, but it's no, a kind it's of a interesting very game. bad game. That's that's the entire thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let me pull this up really quickly because I figured we were just gonna gonna do the. Sh- I mean the 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 inner after the top four of the Big Ten, every game is interesting because no one really yeah. seems better than anyone else. Yeah, uh, by Bill C's win probability, uh, he has uh, this game essentially a toss up. He is Minnesota beating Iowa. At home, uh, projected margin of victory of 1.2 points. Uh, Vegas has... That's what the spread has. Yeah. Vegas, well, Vegas has... It looks like Iowa is a two, one-and-a-half, two-point favorite. So, yeah, um, yeah, Nick, do you want to you wanna pick this one really quickly? Yeah. Um, I think Minnesota wins this game. Right. Iowa just looks lost. Yeah. Completely lost. They look like they're not sure what to do now that they're losing football games, which... I mean, when you have the success that they had last year, that's an issue that's going to pop up. But I'm a little bit surprised at what Iowa has been so far this year to the point that 
Uh, I was circling that game as maybe Penn State beats them when they come to town, and now I feel really, really confident in picking Penn State in that one. Uh, Jordan, give us a pick real quick on this one. Uh, first, I want to say that I consider Iowa a basketball school now. <laughs> because I, I, I saw a top 10 Iowa basketball team in person. I have not seen a top 10 Iowa football team in person. But I, I don't know, let's just go with Minnesota. I was impressed with what they got, what yeah, with what they did against you guys last week. And yeah, they seem to be a legitimate football team. And so I'll take them at home. Awesome. Uh, moving on, we have a game that uh, really interesting. BYU and their, I mean, they've played really ugly football all year until last week when they played a game that was so late at night and high scoring that Mac Brown had to literally leave uh, <laughs> during the broadcast. Uh, they're traveling to East Lansing to play a Michigan State team that I'm saying they're reeling right now after a 24-point loss to Wisconsin, uh, losing at Indiana. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Spartans are able to handle uh, Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams and this rushing attack uh, by the Cougars. Uh, According to Las Vegas, Michigan State is a six-point favorite. What do you think, Nick? I I think Michigan State bounces back in this game. Okay. Uh, I don't... I don't love BYU, um, and I think I think this party kind of knows that they <laughs> they effed up, and I think that they'll get their act together this week at home. I don't know if they win by six, so I don't know if they cover that. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't bet on this game, um, but I think they do win. And I'll, I will say though, Michigan State's schedule and their season could go off the rails so quickly oh, yeah. especially with all already having having had their bye they're not going to have a rest the rest of the season oh, no. and they're yeah it could be ugly by the time they get to happy valley in the last week of the season yeah sb nation's projecting that they're going to lose to penn state by a touchdown if if that game were to happen uh this week which is i mean, coming into this season i don't think anybody really expected that Hell, they're projected to lose by Maryland by about a touchdown, too. So, uh, Jordan, do you think this is a big bounce-back week uh, for Mark D'Antonio's side? I'm going to say yes, just because I can't really see Michigan State losing three weeks in a row. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just pretty much sad. Like, I feel like Mark D'Antonio is too good of a coach to not look at what the hell's going on and sort of correct it. I mean, I feel like for most other teams, I definitely would take BYU, but I feel like Mark D'Antoni has established himself as a coach who generally knows what the hell he's doing, and he's probably going to look at the last two weeks and do something to fix it. I really think BYU is going to, just for four quarters, just punch Michigan State in the mouth, and I really want to see how Michigan State responds to that. I'm going to take the Spartans, uh, but this game is going to be really, really dangerous for them. Uh, and again, I'm really interested to see how they handle this one. Also interested to see how a team handles a game. Uh, our friends at Crimson Quarry are going to watch their Indiana team travel to Columbus, where they're a 29-point underdog <laughs> against Urban Meyer and the Death Star that he is building at Ohio State. I think Ohio – again, I really like Indiana. Love the dudes over at Crimson Quarry. But I think Ohio State just runs them off the field. I think Ohio State, and this is something I believe, uh, Nick, you mentioned, the rest of the year is just going to be Michigan and Ohio State trying to put up as many points as possible on common opponents because they just want to be able to flex and say, we're this game shows that we are able to put up more points on this team. So I think Ohio State goes in and just beats the hell out of Indiana. Um, what do you think, Jordan? I think this is going to be one of those weird games where it looks close for like a half or maybe three quarters, and then Ohio State just completely pulls away in the fourth quarter, which is exactly what happened when Maryland went into the horseshoe. Maryland, I think, was tied with Ohio State in the fourth quarter at the horseshoe uh, in Ned Saul's last game before he got fired, and then Ohio State like got a touchdown, interception, touchdown, and then just completely pulled away. So I think this will be one of those games where you like post a screenshot of the um, – score in the second quarter on Twitter, and you're like, ooh, ooh, look at this. And then 30 minutes later, you'll send out a second tweet with them winning by 17. Oh, uh, never mind. So I think 
If I were betting on the spread for the first half, I would take Indiana. If I was betting on the spread for the entire thing, I'd take Ohio State. Yeah. Nick, uh, my guess is you're going to agree with both of us on this one. But what are you thinking? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I am fully on board the belief that Ohio State and Michigan are just having a passing contest against their <laughs> common opponents the rest of the season. So I think I think, I think think they're just going to lay waste to India. I think it's going to be like 68-17. I think they're just going to completely run over them. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that Indiana will look better than the score is, but I don't think the score is going to be remotely close for any longer than the first quarter. Yeah, someone at SB Nation wrote uh, wrote today, it, I, it, I'm pretty sure it was Bill C, but it might have been Stephen Godfrey, that the t- like they listed every undefeated team in college football and said, so here's the numbers, but I'm just going to be straight with you. The two teams with the most, the odds, the best odds to end this season undefeated are one, the winner of Ohio State and Michigan, and two, everyone else. <laughs> These two teams are just going to like march through people, and it's going to be a lot of fun, especially when we get to a game we're going to talk about in a second. But before then, we have to talk to about uh, Purdue traveling to Illinois. Nick, without cheating, I want you to guess the line on this game. Oh well, I can't. I'm looking at the ESPN page, so uh, I can't. Okay, never mind. I already jo- see it. Jordan, I want you to guess this. I'm looking at the ESPN page too. <laughs> so both of these teams are really, really bad. Um, <laughs> Illinois is much better in S and P plus, and that's only because. And real quick for, yeah. for the listeners, Illinois is favored by ten and a half. Yeah, we didn't actually I, say. I'm going to get to that in a second, but oh, okay. Illinois seventieth in S and P plus. Purdue is a hundredth. So between that, ten and a half point favorites. Well, it's in Lovey's house. Um, I'm going to go with Illinois to win this game, but do understand that I say that without any expectation of watching a single damn second of this one. Um, Nick, who you picking? West gonna eat. West gonna eat. We I love think you, West Purdue line. covers the spread though. Oh wow! Okay, for the record. Wow, so you're thinking what, yeah. like 41 I'm thinking like more like 41-33. Okay. Jordan, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm going to go with Illinois simply because Levy Smith has been to the Super Bowl and Daryl Hazel, I don't think, or Hazel, <laughs> hasn't, had, hasn't had a winning record at Purdue, and uh-huh. I'm quickly scanning his Wikipedia page. Uh, okay, he had a winning record at Kent State once. But I'm, he was I'm great. He was great. At I mean, I'm, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not. I saw Purdue, and Purdue absolutely just got demolished by Maryland. I have not seen Illinois, and I don't know how good or bad they've looked. But based on the fact that I've seen one team get blown out, <laughs> and I also know that one team is being coached by a guy who has won two Big Ten games in three years, and the other guy is someone who got to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. Let's go with <laughs> Illinois and the Fighting Lovey Smiths. <laughs> Yeah, to be I fair, mean, they got to a Super Bowl with the Bears' defense and Devin Hester. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's calm down a second. He had that one year where he had Dree Archer, uh, but yeah, as our as friend of the uh, pod, uh, uh, oh, Dree was awesome. Stupid Steelers not using him the right way. But as our friend uh, Matt Brown of Sports on Earth likes to point out, coming into this season. Uh, Daryl Hazel, Hazel had as many wins in three years as Danny Hope had in his last year. So, uh, yeah, Purdue football, not in a good place. And speaking of not in a good place, let's talk about Michigan going to Rutgers. Um, I So last week, Ohio State and Rutgers played one another uh, in a football game, which ended with a final <laughs> score of Ohio State 58, Rutgers 0. I projected that over these next, over these two weeks, Ohio State and Michigan, the f- aggregate score would be Ohio State and Michigan 120 to uh, six points six. for Rutgers. So I need a 62 to six final score in this game, and I will project that even though it's a home night game, they're striping out uh, High Point Solution Stadium. It's going to be a really interesting atmosphere, but I think Harbaugh is going to go into that game going, we need to score more than 58 points. Um, 
It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a hilarious bloodbath with an infinite number of surrender cobras that break out in like <laughs> halfway through the first quarter. Uh, Jordan, what what say you? I I feel like every time a team goes into Rutgers, there's sort of like this feeling of oh god, don't mess us up. Like it's sort of like <laughs> just like an anxiety of like oh god, we have to beat them. Not we should beat them. It's like we can't allow anything bad to happen here. We can't even think about anything bad happening. So I feel like Michigan might come out a little nervous, so focused on trying to demolish Rutgers rather than just winning. That again, I think it'll be another one of those games where like Rutgers might go up like seven nothing, and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. They might even go like ten three or something, but then Michigan definitely pulls away yeah. by a lot. But again, like every time I feel like someone goes into Rutgers, there's this weird aura that something stupid might happen. Like they they almost beat Iowa, Rutgers did because like just going into Piscataway, weird things happen there. Yeah. I mean, last year, they almost beat Michigan State up until, you know, their quarterback spiked a ball on fourth down. (laughs) Rutgers football. Uh, Nick. They're not as embarrassing as Rutgers basketball, though. Well, I mean, that's that's for another podcast that we will have. We had a a running segment when we uh, did this podcast last year uh, where – we basically would go through and look at Rutgers Ken Palm rating and <laughs> just like laugh at the teams that they played and mostly the teams that they beat. Like the best team that they beat was ranked like 220 or 250 in Ken Palm, something like that. Uh, neither here nor there, Nick. Uh, Rutgers football, they again playing a really good Michigan team. What What's happening in this one? Anything, does anything fun happen? Um, depends on your definition of fun. Define fun. Uh, so fun for fun. F- All right. In general, here's what'll be fun. Yeah. Here's what'll be fun. Not only will Michigan annihilate that 28 point line and win somewhere in the 50s to, I don't know, maybe Rutgers will score. I don't know. I think they'll hold them under 200 yards, 200 total yards in the process. Um, <sighs> The thing that I'm super interested about in this game, and I kind of want to take a poll. Um, I grew up in New Jersey, so I know <laughs> a lot of people that went to Rutgers. Um, so I want to take a poll of them after this is over. And I want to ask them, because right now, according to this ESPN page, there are 1,011 t- tickets available from $83. I want to know who is paying $83 <laughs> to go watch Rutgers get annihilated by Michigan at night in what a day that where it might rain. I actually just refreshed the page and it went for me from 1,022 to 996. Um, oh my god! Tickets. People just bought so, tickets. So people, I'm going to hit refresh one more time and just see. Nah, it hasn't gone down. But listen, man, the folks want to see it. They want to see what happens. I mean, Michigan fans travel well, so that probably has something to do with it. And there are a lot of Michigan fans in New Jersey for whatever reason. But listen, when there's a big game on the banks of the old Raritan, everyone knows the fans <laughs> show up. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a hilarious bloodbath. And if you, I mean, this week's uh, college football schedule is actually the night games. They're pretty solid. Florida State has to go to Miami. Uh, Washington plays Oregon in what could be Mark Helfrich's last stand. Uh, Alabama has to go to Arkansas. So some good games. But definitely make sure you flip that back and forth between Michigan and Rutgers because that one is going to be absolutely hilarious. Uh, in basically every sense of the word hilarious. Uh, but don't don't actually flip between yeah, don't, those. Don't, do don't, don't actually do that. Watch watch Mark Helfrich's final game. Um, yeah, so I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. Uh, Jordan, thank you uh, very much for joining us. We appreciated uh, having you on and you know providing some insight into Maryland football for us. It was a pleasure, and may I promote, if you want to follow, I'm assuming entirely Penn State fans are listening to this, but if you want to follow a Maryland Twitter feed that has, like, decent jokes and whatnot, follow Terps Watch. Terps, like, you know, Terps, and watch, like, a timekeeping wrist fashion device. <laughs> so, yeah, if you if you want to see us make jokes, like, for example, I tweeted out ridiculous comparisons between Perry Hills and Lamar Jackson last week, and I got Louisville Twitter mad at me for implying that I actually thought Perry Hills was better than Lamar Jackson. So that's the kind of content we provide. So if you want to check up on what Maryland is doing and see me and other people try to tweet jokes, follow us. 
Thank you. Uh, I'm just doing something real quick. I'm checking to see if one of those uh, Louisville fans... Yep, it was Mark Ennis. He was one of those angry Louisville fans. What are the odds of that one? Neither here nor there. Uh, Yeah, follow Terps Watch. Make sure uh, you give Jordan a follow on the Twitter machine at naturally cats cats spelled K A T Z like the delicatessen in New York city. Thank you very much. for <laughs> Listen, I had to thank you very much for listening to this edition of the podcast. Uh, make sure you go online, buy yourself a t-shirt or if you're going to be in state college this weekend, shoot me an email. I have a bunch of t-shirts at my place. I will happily meet up with you wherever you want. You can PayPal Grovich for the money for this shirt. They're really nice. And let's face it. We all know you look pretty good in that one, but you look pretty good in anything. Follow us all on social media at RLR Blog. Like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar. Go to the various pod platforms. Make sure you subscribe, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes and you give us a really nice review. We'll really appreciate that. And if you don't like the pod, email Nick and I. We want to know how we can do better when we're on here talking about Penn State football. Read the site. Support everything we do. Uh, We'd really appreciate that. We're still trying to get off the ground. And everything that you read and share... Words cannot describe how much we appreciate that. And that's it for this edition of the podcast. Again, thank you very much for listening. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, for our special guest, Jordan Katz, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, y'all. Shout out Rob Bolden.